Have you ever purchased an item and you could not wait to be able to use it? I mean, when the package comes, you rip it open. I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Amazon Prime fan. I love Amazon. It just feeds my impatience. It feeds my sin of being impatient and not wanting to wait. I love it. I do. Next day. Oh, man. But then when you have a package and you rip it open and you go to use it, after you open it, you find out that it doesn't work. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most defeating and upsetting things to me. I don't like that. Man, I wanted to be able to use this. See, the problem is that the product was what? It was defective. There was something wrong. Matter of fact, it could even have a sticker on it, uh, inspected by Inspector 13. I really want to meet that person. <laughs> that person's everywhere. And they could, ensure, they could have ensured that at the time that they sent it out that it was working, but unfortunately, when you put it to the test, it did not work. When you went to plug it in, it did not work. When you went to put the batteries in, it did not work work. When you went to try it on, it did not fit. It was obviously too big. <laughs> I'm glad some of you got that, right? Hey, uh, hey, I, I want to stay on your good side, all right? <laughs> but when you put it to the test, it didn't work. Like I said, it was defective. You know, this is what this passage is all about. It's about a defective religion. It's all about a man who thought at first that his religion was good enough only to find out that his religion was defective. See, his religion would not work when put to the test. See, satisfaction, this man was looking for satisfaction. Now listen to this. You can sum up this message, and this is what I want you to take away, and you, I want you to remember for all that are here this morning, those who might be uh, watching Facebook Live or watching it later on on YouTube, satisfaction for the inner life never comes from outward behavior. Your satisfaction for the inner life, that longing that every single human being has, cannot and will not come from outward behavior. And I want us to lay, take a look at some valuable lessons that can be learned from the life of this man and the response that Jesus had to this man in dealing with eternal life. See, this man came to Jesus and he was looking for eternal life. He wasn't someone that the society would look at and say, yeah, man, you need eternal life. You, you're, oh, man, you, you've made a mess of your life. No, this was a very religious man. This was a man, if you will, of the cloth. This was a man that knew the scriptures. But he found that there was something missing in his life. You say, well, how can I have satisfaction in my inner life. See, the wonderful thing about salvation is that salvation is applicable for the unbeliever and for the believer. You never get past the cross. Everything that you and I need is found in the cross. 
So though this is more of an evangelistic salvation type of message, those of you, and it's probably the majority, that know Christ as your personal Savior, I don't want you to turn it off and say, hey, well, you know what? I'm pretty good. I already know that I'm saved. Number one, you ought to look that God would increase your joy of his salvation to you. You can never be too excited that you're saved. And number two, you can be able to take some of these principles, these Bible principles, and apply them to your own life no matter where you find yourself. Because sometimes as believers, do we not have an inner longing after we, even after we accept Christ? There's something sometimes in our walk that just seems a little bit off, right? It, it, things don't seem like it's clicking. Things don't seem like, you know, are, are good. And it seems like something's missing. No, I know that I'm saved, but it's just not right. The walk just doesn't seem to be going forward. So what do you do if you're saved or if you're unsaved when it comes to salvation here or when it comes to your life when there's an inner longing? First, number one, write this down. You must come to Jesus. See, the only way that the satisfaction is going to be met, I don't care who you are, I don't care what age you are, I don't care uh, what demographic you find yourself in, from the youngest of person in here to the oldest of person in here, the only way to get that longing satisfied is to come to Jesus. Where do you find yourself today, Christian friend? You find yourself a little bit confused. You find yourself a little bit empty. Yeah, my joy's not there the way it should be. My contentment's not there the way it should be. My patience isn't there the way it should be. I'm not loving the brethren the way I should be. Well, then, my friend, I would say you must come to Jesus. We see this in verses 13 through 17. You know what I find about this, this portion of Scripture? I love it because it shows us you might want to write this down, that Jesus accepts all kinds of people. Jesus accepts all kinds of people. Take a look at verse 13. Then there were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and his disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And behold, one came unto him. I want you to notice how the Gospel of Matthew has packaged this portion of Scripture. What we see first is that they're children that came to Christ. They wanted to come to Jesus, but it says that the, the, the disciples rebuked them. That, that was not the social norm. The children just didn't come up to adults. It was like the old adage, maybe this is the way that you were raised as a child. You speak when spoken to. You speak when spoken to. And, and in that time period, it wasn't natural for a child to have that, uh, that, that privilege of just walking up to somebody and being in their presence and be able to, to speak to them like that. And the disciples rebuked these children for coming. But Jesus, Jesus didn't allow it to go on. He wanted the children to come to him. Jesus basically said to the disciples, don't stop these kids from coming to me. Don't prevent these children from coming to me. So I want you to remember this morning that Jesus accepts all kinds of people because not only do we see children, we see also that these children came in a way that shows us the way to the kingdom of God. 
See, to come into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says that there is a way. And how did these children come? They came with trust. They came with openness. They came with no pretense. They came by faith. And my friends, this morning, those who don't know Christ, your personal Savior, that's exactly the way that you must come to Christ. And for those of you who do know Christ, your personal Savior, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what difficulty you you find in your life today, you must come to Christ the same way. No pretense. By the way, he already knows all about it. You're not going to hide anything from God. You say, well, I feel angry towards God. He already knows about that. Well, I feel that God's let me down. He already knows about that. These children came with no pretense. They came with openness. They came with trust. They came with faith. But they also came with humility. What I find interesting is these children had nothing to offer Jesus. And he still accepted them. You ever have somebody in your life that you think, and I, I again, you can judge motives and that could be a little bit dangerous at times, but, but have you ever had somebody in your life that the only reason you felt that they accepted you was because of what they could get out of you? After you're done with that, after you're done meeting with that person, you, you feel used. You're just like they got what they wanted and now they're gone. You know, these children couldn't offer Jesus anything. That's not the way Jesus is. You say, Pastor, the only thing that I have to offer Jesus is a broken life. The only thing that I have to offer Jesus is shambles. The only thing that I have to offer Jesus is is a messed up family. I, I don't have anything to offer him. My friend, if you don't know Christ or if you know Christ and that's your story, guess what? Jesus accepts everyone. He's not looking for what you can give to him. He's looking for what he can give to you. Not only do I see that he accepted those who had nothing to offer him. I want you to see, we're talking about how Matthew packaged this portion of Scripture. Look at the contrast. It's very evident. Who else came? A rich young ruler. A powerful young man. And in the eyes of the world, guess what? He would have much to offer Jesus. I don't know about you, but man, uh, as a pastor, you like that kind of man in your church. I mean, he was well-known. He was powerful. He had connections, man. I mean, he had money. He had the whole package. He looked good. He talked good. He was refined. I mean, if anybody should be a part of the church, it ought to be him. There was, in time past, there was a man who wrote a, a book, and it was telling you basically how to build your church and In the book, he gave you the perfect individual to go after. This is the person that you ought to go after. This is the type of person that you want in your church. Oh, it's not that you don't want to go after other people, but if you really want to build a church and see things move forward, you need to go after this person. I thought to myself, how sad. How sad. How unlike Christ. If I mention the person's name, everyone in here will probably know that pastor's name. I thought to myself, I'm so glad that I was taught it doesn't matter, red or yellow, black or white, they're all precious in his sight. Do we just go after everybody with the gospel? In the world's eyes, this man had much to offer Jesus. 
And it was really a great surprise that this man would come to Jesus. It says in our text, and behold, one came. They're like, the way we would say, man, this is shocking that this guy came. See, this man was also accepted by Jesus. Not on the basis of what he had or who he was. Jesus accepted this man because this man needed what Jesus had. We see that Jesus is welcoming also not only in, in, uh, of all kinds of people, but let her be, write this down. Jesus answers the questions of men. How, is, how does Jesus accept all people? He accepts them by answering the questions of men. The question that this man came to Jesus is virtually the same question that all humanity is asking today. What can I do to get into heaven? What can I do to get into heaven? Though this man was sincere, he was sincerely wrong on his approach to eternal life. And my friend, whether you know Christ your personal Savior or you don't, it's not based upon what you can do for Christ. It's based upon everything that he has done for you. See, the reason that Christians get into trouble is because we're trying to do for Christ instead of letting Christ work in and through us. Well, I'm going to do this for Christ, and I'm going to do that for Christ. And Hey, there's nothing wrong with having goals and having dreams to be able to set the world on fire for Christ. But my friend, it's not what you do for Christ. It's how Christ works in and through you. See, the question is based upon the works of man and not faith. See, and this is the issue of all mankind this morning. What can I do? What work? What good deed? What action or behavior must I have in order to gain access into heaven? Now, most of us this morning, if we had somebody come up to us and say, what can I do to get into heaven? The first thing that we would do is break out an evangelistic Romans 3.23, Romans Road, man, we would be going right down that band. This guy is primed for salvation. This gal is primed for salvation. We're going to lead them right to the Lord. You know what I find interesting about Jesus? He failed evangelism 101. Because he didn't focus on salvation. He focused on one word. Good good. Jesus was getting the man to think about who Jesus was. See, my friends, this morning, you can talk to people <coughs> this morning about, hey, if you come to Jesus, you'll have peace. Hey, if you come to Jesus, you'll have love. Hey, <coughs> if you come to Jesus, you'll, you'll have more happiness. Hey, if you come to Jesus, you'll have joy. Nobody in their right mind would refuse that. But that's not the basis you come to Jesus on. One of the first things that you come to Jesus on is recognizing that Jesus is God in the flesh. You must accept him as the person of God. You must accept the person and work of God and God alone. See, Jesus was saying, am I just a nice religious teacher? If he was just a nice religious teacher then how are his claims more authoritative than any other religious teacher? A week ago, I was on my way home from Houston, and I was given the opportunity to be able to talk with a Hindu woman. While we were sitting there, she was sitting on the aisle, Colin was sitting in the middle, and I was sitting by the window. 
I told Colin the way home, I said, Colin, I said, I want the window because I want to sleep. I'm tired. I said, okay, pastor. But then I got in a conversation with this lady. We introduced ourselves, and I had my Open Bible Baptist Church shirt on, and I don't know if she saw that or not, but well, now that she saw that, saw that it, I got to be nice. I can't sleep, you know. But as I had this opportunity to talk with this Hindu woman, I asked many questions about her religion. I asked what they believed. Oh, I knew what they believed, but I wanted to hear it from her. I asked if she believed in absolute truth, and I asked if there was a heaven, and if there was a heaven, then was there a hell? And I asked who Jesus was, and if his statements of being the only way to God was offensive to her. I mean, I had a captive audience. She couldn't go anywhere, so. <laughs> and basically, all of her answers centered on being respectful of all religions. And do as much good in this life as you can so that one day you may get to heaven. It was all based upon works. And this lady is not like, unlike the man that's in our passage here this morning See, this lady that I was talking to, she wanted to go to heaven, but she only saw Jesus. I asked her what she thought of Jesus. She only saw Jesus as one of many gods. He's one of many gods that have been revealed to us down throughout the ages and down throughout history to be able to point us to heaven. See, Jesus says, no, I'm not one of many gods. I am the only God. He says to this man, I, there's only one that's good, that's God. Jesus wanted to see, show this man that he was God in the flesh. You know what Jesus was actually saying to this man? You've called me good, and there's only one that's good. Do you believe that I am good, and therefore that I am God? See, my friend, when you come to Jesus, you must believe that he is God. So if you don't know him as your personal Savior, the first thing, you've got to believe that he is God. And if you know him as your personal Savior this morning, and you're going through a difficult time, you must believe that he is God. You say, well, I believe that he's God. Yes, the problem is you're believing it here. You've got to live it out. You've got to trust him. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know the difficulty I am, I'm in. No, I may not, but I do know a God that does. And my friend, if Jesus is God, and he is, then you better do what he says. What did Jesus say to this man? Jesus said to keep the commandments. Now, Jesus, this morning, he wasn't saying that if you keep all the commandments, then you'll have eternal life. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. He wasn't saying that. There would be some today that would teach a work salvation that Jesus told this man to keep all the commandments and he could go to heaven. Well, then Jesus would be contradicting the Bible. Take a look at Romans chapter 3, if you would, please. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, Romans 3.20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
See, you've got to realize that there's nothing that you and I can do. But Jesus, listen, Jesus accepts you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to allow you to stay that way. And my friend, I don't care if you're saved or lost this morning, wherever you find yourself, Jesus accepts you the way that you are, but he does love you too much to allow you to stay that way. So maybe there's been something that's been brought into your life, and if you're a believer, I'm going to tell you why it's been brought into your life. Not because Jesus hates you. Not because you're not a good enough person. But whatever's been brought into your life, whether it was by sin on your own doing, or God has permitted it or allowed it or ordained it in your life, the reason that he has put it in your life is so that you will be conformed to the very image of his son. Just like for the unsaved, that Jesus wants them to come as they are, but he won't allow them to stay as they are. He wants them to come, why? So that they can accept him, be changed for the believer, so that we would still trust that he's God and that we'd be changed into his image. See, Jesus was using the law to show to this man his condition, his condition. In order to have eternal life, you must first come to Jesus. Secondly, write this down. You must reject the willpower of the world. You must reject the willpower of the world. We find this in verses 18 through 22. You must reject the willpower of the world. Letter A, the will for self-justification. Did you see what this young man said? All these things I've kept from my youth up. He asked Jesus, and Jesus says, you need to keep all the commandments. What does this young man say? He says, which? Which? Which commandment do I need to keep? Turn over to James chapter 2 and verse 10. You know what this young man was actually trying to do? He was trying to separate the commands of God. He was trying to separate the commands of God. That's why I said, which? Almost as if God's commands, each one of them, are independent in and of themselves. They're not. God's commands are instricably connected together. You can't separate the commands of God. Take a look at James chapter 2 and verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. What's it say there? He is guilty of all. What it's saying is that if you've broken one commandment of God, you've broken them all. So listen, friends, listen. For a Christian, for the unsaved this morning, if you've lied, you've lied. How many in here have never lied? Raise your hand. Good, good, good. I was going to say, because that's your first lie right there. (laughs) So if you've lied, guess what? We all admit it in here that we've lied guess what you're also guilty of? Murder. That puts us all on a level playing field, doesn't it? It's amazing how many times we think as Christians, we get a little bit uppity. Well, I've never done that. Well, if you've ever stolen anything, you've committed adultery. If you've ever coveted something, you know what I'm talking about. 
It's called keeping up with the Joneses. If you've ever coveted anything, then you've put another God before God. See, you can't separate, uh, you can't separate out, out the commandments. And this young man was trying to justify himself. And whenever we come to Christ, we cannot come in our own willpower trying to justify ourselves before God. You know what it's like, Christian. You're praying to God and you're saying, yeah, Lord, I want you to forgive me of my anger. But if so-and-so hadn't made me angry, I wouldn't have sinned like that. That's called self-justification. Well, if my husband wouldn't have, well, if my wife, she didn't, well, if my kids were more obedient, well, if my boss, folks, we're not too far, all of it, we're not too far from this rich young ruler. You say, well, then, what was the reason that Jesus said to keep the commandments, to show them the law? The reason was, the law was given to show us our sin. See, the law, the law of God, it represents, it's representative of the authority of God. You know, you've heard that phrase, little white lie, right? Oh, it's just a little white lie, folks. I'm sorry, there's no such thing as a little white lie. You, may, you and I may think some things are minor and other things are major, but no matter what the sin is, when we sin, we are still rebelling against God. See, and what's interesting is that this young man was only focused on the outward obedience. He says, For I, I've kept all these things. I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm not as bad as other people. Folks, listen. Whether you know Christ this morning or you don't, the self-righteous religion of works is very self-deceiving and very self-convincing. And there are many Christians today, though they know Christ, they are, they are now part of a self-righteous religion of works. They deceive themselves because they think that they do all these things for God and that they, they, they are, they are uh, the ultimate person for God. They, they've got all their faithfulness in line. They're doing this, that, and the other thing. They've got all the outward facade. They think that they're okay. My friends, Christianity is so much more than the outside. See, this young man, just like we, he forgot about the heart. This man was trying to justify himself. You know what? Self-justification has been the method for most of humanity. Down throughout the ages, they've tried. Instead of a, they've tried to use this. Instead of admitting that they have broken God's law and that they're a sinner in need of a savior, they'd rather self-justify. I'm not that bad compared to fill in the blank. See, self-justification it never really gives complete fulfillment. Why? Because letter B. There was a want for completion. In verse 20b and following, there was a want for completion. What does he say there? 
he says which, and then Jesus goes through all the different ones. As a matter of fact, he went through the different commandments that all had to do with other people. But then after Jesus got done the list and he said, I've kept all them, he says, what now do I lack? What I find interesting is that many commentators, as I was studying, uh, uh, believe that this man was a ruler in the local synagogue. He was very religious. He had kept all the commandments, and maybe from an outward appearance, he had. He had done all the religious works, everything that the law had told him to do, he'd done it. But there was something that was still missing because self-justification, trying to work your way to heaven, trying to work your way into the love of God, it just doesn't work. He knew that there was something still lacking. There was something that it was missing. There was something that religion was not fulfilling. See, my friend, whether you're saved or lost, you can be saved and, and caught up in religion, and you can be lost and caught up in religion. Paul talks to us about that in the, the book of Galatians. How soon have you been removed from the gospel. Why? You accepted the gospel by faith, but now you're trying to earn God's love by works. You're trying to earn his favor by good deeds. It's almost like this young man was saying, how much more good do I need to do? I've got a question for you. This was a religious man. He, he was a preacher, if you will. But i got a question for you. If you're going to base everything on good deeds, how much good is good enough? Not only for your salvation, but how much good is good enough for your walk with the Lord? No wonder there's, there's something missing in your fellowship with the Lord. No wonder there's no sweetness. No wonder there's no joy. No wonder there's no aroma of the, the rose of Sharon in your life. The reason being is because you're trying to do everything in your own strength. You're trying to earn what God wants to freely give. Amen. Well, if I just do this, then maybe God will... See, you don't start out the Christian life that way, and you don't continue the Christian life that way. See, the sad reality of this Hindu woman that I was speaking with, I did ask her. I said, well, then how much good is good enough? And this is what she said. She says, she, she, she told me, no one knows you just hope to be good enough to get to a higher life form. I thought to myself, how sad. See, the issues for this man and for the world is that they know that they're lacking something and that they're doing all that they can and still can't find completion in everything that the world offers. See, what this man was missing and what many Christians are missing today is that they're not dealing with the heart condition. Listen, you cannot find completion in your inner man by trying to do outward things. He was not seeing himself as a sinner, 
And for those of you who know Christ, your personal Savior, you're not seeing yourself as needy and still in need of the grace of God and still in need of the mercy of God and still in need of the love of God. We start to come to God as if we are okay and we just need him when we're in trouble. My friends, each and every day, all of us need the grace and mercy of God. We need it and we must come humbly to him realizing it. Jesus exposes the sin of this young man. If that will be perfect, complete, that's that word, complete. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. I want to clarify, Jesus isn't saying that if you sell everything that you have, you're going to have a home in heaven. That's not what he's saying. See, because Jesus is God, Jesus knew that this man's God, small g, was gold. Jesus knew that this man had a problem with riches. Jesus knew that this man loved money more than he loved God. And Jesus was forcing this man to examine his heart and determine his priorities. What do you lack? Jesus says, be obedient to what I'm saying. Jesus was actually giving this young man a test to see who or what was really ruling his heart. You know the sad result of this encounter with Jesus is that this young man was face to face with God in the flesh and had an opportunity to have his inner man complete but walked away. It was just too hard. And those of us who sit in the pews and we know Christ, sometimes, you know what, we'll sit there and we'll have our little pharisaical faces on and we'll look at the unsaved, we'll just shake our heads. Mm-mm-mm. How can you walk away from Jesus? How can you allow that to That just doesn't make sense to me. You were just presented with the gospel and you don't want to get saved. I can't believe that. You know, folks, when you're going through a difficult time in your life, how can you walk away from Jesus? How can you hear the word of God that he is God and that he can take care of your problems and he can feel that void sometimes because if you're walking away from him, all you need to do is just come to him. How can you do that? Well, you say, it's just too hard. I I don't know that I'll be able to go through it. That's the exact same thing that the unsaved person's thinking. They're just thinking, it's too hard. What will my friends say? What will my family say? What will my wife say? What will my kids say? How's this going to affect my job? Man, do I got to stop drinking and smoking and cussing and running around? Man, how am I? I mean, what's going to go on with life? It's just going to be too hard for me. And guess what? We sit there in the church, and Jesus is saying the same thing to us, that he wants us to come to him, that he wants to accept us, that he wants to change us, that he wants to give us the fulfillment that we need and desire in our life. And we sit there and we just say, it's just too hard because I've got this problem and I don't know how that's going to work out and I've got this problem and I'm not so sure. How, how's this all going to work out, Lord? It's the same way that it works out in salvation. It's called faith. You just trust Him. You know what Jesus is saying to us this morning? Are you willing to give up what's ever on the throne of your heart? And turn from your old way of life and allow Jesus to rule. 
See, in order to have eternal life, you must first come to Jesus. You must give up or reject the will of the world, willpower of the world. But number three, in closing, you must see yourself as a violator of God's law, verses 23 through 30. You must see yourself as a violator of God's law, verses 23 through 30. In verses 23 through 25, we see the impossibility of gaining access into heaven or into God's kingdom. Jesus makes a very strong statement to his disciples after this man turns away. And he says basically that the power of wealth can make it impossible for a man to come to Christ. That the power of wealth can make it impossible for a man to come to Christ. See, the reason for this is because what happens, those who are wealthy, what do they do? They trust in their riches. The deceptive power of wealth in one's life, it makes them feel secure when actually they're totally vulnerable. And Jesus uses an illustration of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, I'm not going to debate with those who would say, well, that was uh, the eye of the needle. There was, a, there was an arch there in Jerusalem and there was a camel that could go through the eye of the needle. Um, and and, and the simple fact of the matter is that Jesus didn't say there's an archway. And by the way, why would a person at that time period try and force a camel through the eye of the needle when just 50, what is it, 50 yards away was another gate that they could have walked through fine? The point that Jesus was making that a, it's, hard, it's easier for a literal camel to go through the literal eye of a needle easier than a rich man can get into heaven. You say, well, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's the point. And the disciples were astonished. See, the reason that they were astonished was because back then they believed that those who were rich, who were wealthy, were blessed of God. They thought that they had the favor of God. And if anybody would get into the kingdom of God, if anybody could have a relationship with God, it would be the rich, those who were wealthy. In the Talmud, that's Jewish writing. In the Talmud, it says this, almsgiving is more excellent than all offerings and is equal to the whole law and will deliver from the condemnation of hell and make one perfectly righteous. Alms means giving. So what they're saying, giving is more excellent than all offerings and is equal to the whole law and will deliver from the condemnation of hell and make one perfectly righteous. So basically what they're saying is the more money you had, the more you could give. So the more you gave, the more you purchased for yourself salvation. And the more salvation you were able to purchase, the higher your status would be in the kingdom. So they believed that the richer you were, the more readily you were able to get into the kingdom of God. And you know what Jesus did? He took what the social norm was and he flipped it upon its head. He said, the richer you are, the harder it is to get into the kingdom. See, Jesus was teaching that gaining access into the kingdom has nothing to do with your social standing. Instead, it has everything to do with your spiritual standing. And my friend, this morning, if you're a believer, 
the same goes for you. You say, well, God hasn't blessed me financially like others. That's God's choice. But that doesn't mean that he loves you any less. See, it's impossible to be saved when you come to Christ on your own human terms. But let her be, write this down, and we'll close, the benefits of God's kingdom. I love Peter because he says what everybody thinks. Because I would, if I was there, I would have probably said the same thing. Jesus states that he can make the impossible possible. You know what that lets us know about Jesus? That he's not limited like man. It doesn't mean the rich people can't get into heaven. No, the point is that, that the poor man is just as unable to bring about salvation as the rich man. Nobody can bring about salvation on their own. It's a work of God. But when Jesus said, man, that the rich can't get into heaven just like the, without, without him, Peter could no longer contain himself. And you know what Peter said? He basically said, well, then why should we continue following you? He's like, Jesus, what are we going to get then for giving up everything and following you? You know, by the way, Jesus, I had a pretty profitable fishing business. And I gave that all up to follow you. I mean, we've become your disciples to the fullest extent. Is there anything in it for us? I would have said the same thing. I would say, well, then what's the point of following Christ? And Jesus gives to him some of the benefits. He says in the regeneration, that word there, I don't have time to go, it means rebirth. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. And Jesus says that in the millennial kingdom, because you've given up everything in this life, you're going to rule and reign with me. So the first benefit to believers, not only to those 12 that will, draw, that will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, but the first benefit to us as believers who willingly follow Christ is that we're going to share in the triumph with Christ. We're going to rule and reign with him one day. In verse 29, you know what else you find? You're going to receive more than you ever gave up. You're going to receive more than you ever gave up. You've might, you might have, some of you, if I were to ask you, how many of you lost relationships when you came to Christ? A lot of you could raise your hands. You say, that's me. I've lost relationships because I've come to Christ. Maybe you've been forsaken by family and friends. You could have been kicked out of your house or treated as if you were dead. You've paid a price for following Christ. Jesus says that you're going to receive back more than what you gave up. He says 100-fold. See, my friends, when you forsook everything else for Christ, when you forsook your family for Christ, you know what you received? You inherited the whole body of Christ. You and I, we've got fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters all over the world. You ever meet another believer that you didn't know was a believer from another part of the country or whatever the case may be, and there's an immediate kindred? Guess what? Without Christ, you wouldn't have that. Thirdly, you know what Jesus says here? Well, what, what, what are we gonna, what's our benefit? Why should I follow Christ? The Bible says that you've got eternal life. You've got eternal life. 
you will be and I will be rewarded for all of eternity in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And fourthly, though you and I, we might be esteemed in the world's eyes as the least, as the last. In the world to come, we're going to be first. Some of you are like, Pastor, hurry up. It's time to eat. I want to eat. And you want to be first in line. (laughs) You can't wait. We all like to be first. See, my goal today was I've been pastor for nine years. I wanted to preach for at least nine years this morning. (laughs) It's a long message. I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing myself talk. But in the world to come, you're going to be first. See, those of us who know Christ today, we essentially have the same choice in life today that our, that our man in our text had. We can leave the service today miserable, unhappy, because something is controlling our lives instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're holding back on something. But if we let God have his way this morning, we let him have his way in our lives We can leave here rejoicing. See, satisfaction for the inner man never comes from outward behavior. For those of you who don't know Christ this morning, salvation is impossible for anyone to obtain by human effort. Salvation is a work of God. Salvation is only received if we come to God on his terms. And salvation has benefits that are beyond this world and will last for all of eternity.